Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host, as always, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me is my banterful colleague, Sean Gray. Hello. I was looking for a more banter-filled response to that. I, I'm not quite sure. You can't. You, you can't just create banter on a, on a on a click of a finger. It has to be organic. Come on now. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, I don't just banter for anybody on command. <laughs> Push the banter button and off we go. Um, welcome everybody to the second ever hashtag F1 banter episode, our new styled program where we are going to talk about whatever the heck we like about Formula One realistically, whatever crosses our brains um, or in this case has been sent in by you wonderful listeners. Um, we will talk about, discuss and and chew the fat until we've come up with some kind of answer or at least hopefully try and make a jerk out of it. So you um, could say this is our podcast party mode? Eh? <laughs> you couldn't eh? actually indeed <laughs> everything up to 11 um hopefully turn, though turn the we'll get, <laughs> hopefully we'll have more than three a season though that's uh, <laughs> um so what have you got for us then well uh, let's um let's start with a question sent in by uh serena that's at Malik Sara. I think it's Sara or Sara because it ends in double A. I probably said that terribly, terribly wrong. I do apologize. But Serena, anyway, um, why are Force India deteriorating? Why are Force India deteriorating? Not as badly as Roman Grosjean's has this, this, uh, this race, it has to be said. Certainly not as bad as the Williams either. But I think you can draw a little bit of parallels between the two and the fact that they both have the Mercedes engine. They both have been relatively strong in the hybrid area and they're both struggling so far this season. Now, the Mercedes works team is still, well, it's not dominant, clearly still the fastest or one of the fastest cars in the grid. So what can you draw? What kind of conclusions can you draw from that then? Have the, have the other who in previous seasons not been able to match the Mercedes engine, just caught up maybe? Is that what it is? That's what it looks like to me. You look like you look at the McLaren who used the Renault, you look at the Renault who obviously used well, it looks as if those teams have uh, now have an engine that can compete with the Force India. And those two teams, particularly the McLaren and the Renault, have obviously a significantly higher aero budget. So now that they've got an engine that, they, that are on level par, added to the, to the improved aero budget, that to me seems to be the logical conclusion for leapfrogging the Force India, whereas the Force India in the past two seasons, the Mercedes engines pulled it out of the, the jail, so to speak, from um, where they because they couldn't compete with the aero, but they had the engine. Now the engines are on par. These bigger budget teams have sort of the natural order has sort of written, uh, you know, is it righted? Writ itself? Written. How, <laughs> how do you say it? How, how do I say that correctly? The natural order has written itself. Is that right? Uh, uh, has righted itself? Grammar is not my strong point, <laughs> clearly. But uh, do you know what I'm saying? You know, so it looks re- as if... Reasserted itself, really, isn't it, I guess? You know, because uh, for 
you'd expect the Renault and the McLaren, all things being equal, to be ahead of the Force India. And that's not to do the Force India discredit, but they just are bigger teams with bigger budgets. It's it's just what it's the way it's going to be. And the Mercedes engine has has bailed them out over the last three seasons. And they've had some great results and they've done so well. And nobody loves the Force India more than both of us, I don't think. I think on this podcast, we've always been mm-hmm. a fan of that team. But there was only so long that could go. Um, you've seen in the past as well how much funding VG Malias kind of had to try and drum up from the Force Indias. There's lots, you know, he's, he's, there's always been talking of them being on the breadline, so to speak. So the development just doesn't seem to have kicked on again this year. Whereas I don't, the question itself was worded as going backwards, whereas I don't think they have as such they just haven't made as much progress as as some of the other teams that makes sense do you think um vj's well documented and seemingly catching up with him legal issues are affecting the team i mean mean, we were can't help can it you know no um and we were we were told that they weren't going to be force india this year were they they were going to be force one oh yeah i'd actually forgotten about that sort of something was supposed to be happening which you thought maybe meant you know Maybe there's going to be a big change in in backing, and maybe they'll be able to have a bigger budget. But it doesn't seem to have materialised. Do you think maybe that's had something to do with it? That you know, whilst they're waiting for for VJ to be cutted off to uh, a jail cell somewhere, <laughs> yeah, prison, yeah, uh, and and waiting for somebody else to come in and say, ah, a Formula One team, I'd quite like to to buy that and pump some money into it. Then maybe they've just not pushed on as hard with this year's car, hoping that yeah, was going to happen and so. waiting for the budget. It looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, they've never been an aero team. They've always been a slippy, straight line speed kind of package. Um, so they've obviously just not got the finances, the resources there to do the R&D that requires the progress in that area. It's nothing to be really ashamed of. They've been punching above their weight for a long time. And, uh, you know, as I so grammatically poorly stated a minute ago, they just kind of gone back to where you would have expected them to be. Yeah. They've got two excellent drivers. That's one thing. And that's, for me, and I'll go back to Williams, because the two teams, the, the parallels just, just jump out at me on the two teams, is that the difference between them is that you've got two proper F1 drivers in Ocon and Perez. To, Ocon's not even that experienced, but you know, Perez has got bags of experience. Both of them have got good racecraft. Both of them are quite clever with strategies and things like that. And they're able to nick points and nick results that maybe other drivers wouldn't. And then you go to Williams and they've got Stroll and Sorokin who are just just not that. Uh, and that, that looks like the, two, the the key difference between the two teams. And that will keep, um, I think, will keep Force India ahead of the Williams all season. But I, I, I fear that they're going to be significantly behind the, the McLaren and Renault battle. Uh, who just, Renault have been a work in progress for a couple of seasons now. They've got a huge budget, huge team, huge factory. It'd be foolish to not think that they were going to consistently progress. This is a team that are going to, they're aiming to challenge for world championships within the next year or two. That doesn't look like it's going going to be the case. But, you know, the sights are set. They know what they want and they're putting the finances and the the development into getting it. McLaren or McLaren, one of the most historic teams of all time. So, yeah, it's hard to see how the Force Indias over a long period of time 
can continue to compete with these two teams uh, unless they get some outside some outside cash. And and Williams have gone the same way, unfortunately. It's just the driver lineups look to me to be the difference. Well, that's what I was going to actually say was, um, you know, Williams have ultimately had to um, abandon the concept of having an, an experienced and a rookie driver um, and go for two complete rookies, probably based on the amount of money that they both bring in. Um, I'm sure they'd probably rather put Kubica in the car rather than Sorokin and Nostral if they could afford it, but I guess they can't. Force India obviously aren't doing that at the moment. They've got Perez, who, as we know, is a great Formula One driver. Um, you know, whether he's he's world championship material, we'll, I guess we'll probably never know now. I think his I think a bit like Hulkenberg, his time has probably passed for that top team seat. Um, but clearly, you know, he's as good as uh, any of the other drivers that he has been driving against season on season. Ocon seems to be an incredible prospect for the future, even if I always call him Sebastian instead of Esteban. Um, <laughs> but they don't probably... Well, maybe Ocon brings them some kind of dispensation with Mercedes for engines, but Perez probably doesn't. It probably costs them an amount of money to to retain his services, even if he's bringing in, um, you know... Mexican cash. Yeah, you know that's interesting because even if they're paying Perez a salary that that could have otherwise gone into say Aero R and D, do you? It looks to me as if that's money well spent versus say taking a pay driver like Sorokin. I say pay driver. I'm not 100 percent sure what, what Sorokin's bringing in, but there's no point in. You know, taking we talked talked about this for years, decades in Formula One. There's no point taking a pay driver and bringing in money if they can't drive the car. Now, I'm not saying Sorokin can't drive the car. He's obviously got a bit of talent, did okay in, in GP2 and stuff like that. But ultimately, if they're not experienced or ready for the seat, they can bring all the money in the world. But what's the point? You're just going to diddle about at the back, you know. So, for me, I like the way Force India have done it. It's worked for the last couple of seasons, and yeah, they've you know they've kind of stagnated this year, but still early days. Hopefully, maybe more better results will come. But I, I like to see a team go. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take take a, a proper driver and 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 have a go. It just it, it, it signals a little bit of ambition. Uh, that's my biggest complaint about Williams at the moment. I seem to be ranting on about them. I seem to lack any ambition whatsoever at the moment. So. At least, at least for Cindy, if they're going to go down to McLaren and Red, if they're going to go down to the giant teams, they're going to go down, you know, having a bit of fight about them. Whereas Williams seem to be cowering and whimpering. Do you think Force India, their better hope would be to see if they can become the Mercedes version of Haas Ferrari? Do you think it's better to maybe sort of sell their soul a little bit in a? I, I don't mean that negatively against Haas um, or Ferrari, but. To, to give up on saying we will design the whole entire car and just go, well, let's be Mercedes, let's be a Mercedes B team because that's just going to be, you know, that's going to be easier for us long term if we don't have to concentrate so hard on building every single part of the car. If we can get the Mercedes suspension, gearbox and uh, engine as a base and then build on top of it instead of having to spend all the money, you know, creating a, uh, a slippy car because we can't spend the time doing the aero. We could find something that you know we could have multiple aero packages and and spend time doing on it because we don't have to spend quite as much on building the base of the car. 
Yeah, there's definitely an argument for it. I mean, look how good the Haas has started this season. Grosjean seemed to have a bit of a a bit of a weird race in Bahrain, bits flying off left, right and centre. But in general, that Haas looks good. That Haas looks really, really good, in fact. And you have to put that down to the relationship with Ferrari. So there's certainly from a, you know, if you look at the, from a competitive standpoint, if you take that current force in there, strap some Mercedes bits to it, bits onto it, be hard not to say that they would improve two or three places up the grid, if not more. But then you have to look at it from an ideological point of view. The guys running that team, why are they in the game? Are they in the game just keep picking over and picking up good points, finishes and existing? Or are they in the game because they want to, you know, be an F1 team and, and do it for themselves. Um, certainly in terms of short term, and I say short term, I mean two or three seasons, having a strong relationship with Mercedes certainly could not hurt whatsoever. I just, when, when you know, long, longer term, talking 10 years and that, what do you want to, what do you want to get out from being a team? Do you just want to survive and and exist and, and, and be, be midfield? Or have you got ambition to, to go further up, you know, it's a tricky one. Uh... Yeah, the the reason I mentioned Force India specifically, rather than saying Force India or Williams, is because I think we discussed this before. And the problems Williams has is that they're the the last of the sort of um, garageista teams. Yeah. They... So if they buy in, it it slightly tarnishes their sort of long term reputation as a car builder, an F one car. Building. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if, put it this way if Williams did it, I'd probably scoff. Whereas if Force India did it, I would go, yeah, okay, fair enough. But that's just because of the brand that comes connected with the two teams. You know, Williams come with the history and Williams come with the legacy and things like that. And, it, and no one wants to see them just submit to, to being a B team. But Force India don't really have that sort of history. It would certainly be more palatable as a neutral fan to see them do that. I just, uh, I wonder, it's all going to, ultimately, I guess, it's all going to come down to to the man at the top, VG, as we touched on. What's what's he in it for? Is he in it because he's he loves running a Formula 1 team or is it just another spoke on his wheel kind of thing? And, Maybe there won't be any sort of resolution there until, until there's some kind of sale or investment in the team. Yeah, as it as it stands, they 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 seem to have built a car that's decent enough and will get them points finishes. But I think the podiums that we've seen in the last couple of years, I, I'd, be, I'd I'd be surprised if they pick up a podium this year. And that's only two races in, and that's kind of like, oh, how can you say that after only two races? But I just just having watched pre-season tests and the stuff as well, it just doesn't feel, it feels like they are significantly further back. Absolutely. What's the uh, solution? Investment. Ultimately. Yeah, money. Money, 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 money. 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 That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to something slightly different. Uh, harking back to the race somewhat, um, Pierre Gasly has basically taken the world by storm with a um, sort of Vettel-esque, I guess you'd say, performance in a in a Toro Rosso, coming out of nowhere and scoring big points and looking all the world like a, a step above his, his teammate and a few of the other cars. 
Um, Serena has again uh, tweeted us to ask, um, is it possible for Gasly to move to Red Bull soon, given that Daniel Ricciardo's contract is coming to an end, or is it a bit too early for the Frenchman? Uh, yes, it's too early for the Frenchman, I would say. Um, good drive, really, really good drive. Mystery drive in the Toro Rosso, really. Like, how's that? How's that up there? No, um, no. I, do, you think, do you think maybe what they did was just like repaint like the, the Red Bull and just like go? They'll never notice. Nobody will ever. Nobody will work it out quickly. Just they just put a Renault engine in the back and told everybody it's a Honda. No, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it says Honda on it. Look, there's a big sign that says Honda. It says H on the, on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess it's obviously quite good. Um, I, I've not seen an awful lot of him in GP2. I wasn't sure about him coming in. Um, but I think ultimately, even if Danny Ricardo goes, that's Carlos Sainz's seat, surely. Um, Do you reckon? I think so, yeah. If Danny Ricardo goes to Ferrari or anywhere else, for that matter, Sainz will take that seat. If Danny Ricardo stays at Red Bull, then Danny Ricardo and Max Verstappen stay at Red Bull for at least one more season. So I think uh, either way, I expect Gasly to be in the Toro Rosso for this season and next season. That gives him two full seasons in F1, hopefully in a semi-competitive car that can pick up points to show what he can do. Certainly a car that you'd hopeful would be at least capable of battling in and around the Force Indias and, and the Renaults and the Hasses and the likes just so you can see what he can do in, in a racecraft scenario, because as we've seen in Bahrain, it looks really tight in the midfield, and the scope for some serious midfield actions, especially the Renaults and the McLarens, but also Haas and Toro Rosso. We could see some really, really great battles between lots of really talented young drivers, um, Gasly just being one of them. So I think if you give him all of this season and all of next season, that's the best part of 40-plus Grand Prix to hone his racecraft, show that he's quick, learn how to manage everything that needs managed in F1. You maybe don't have another formulas, tires and fuel and everything like that. And then, you know, then you'll know now's the time to make the jump back. Just one one full season in Toro Rosso straight into the Red Bull. I can't see them doing it, especially because they've got science on the books. If science was non-existent, wasn't in the game, then maybe they might take a punt on him. But he's just done, he's done exactly what I just said. He spent two seasons in the Toro Rosso fine-tuning everything before, obviously, it's a little bit of a, a left-field move, going to Renault on is it like a loan, basically. Yes. Um, that's what it feels like. So it's a slightly different scenario in that he's going to go out to the Renault for a season rather than going to Toro Rosso, Toro Rosso, Red Bull. But ultimately, I think two seasons in the, in the, in the junior team would set set him up perfectly both set the driver up perfectly and give the team a proper look at him a proper look to see if he's the right fit to move into the senior team because look what happened with Kvyat did they kind of rush the Danny Kvyat move you could argue they did they had to do something Seb jumped ship kind of surprisingly and Kvyat was next in line and they just stuck him straight in and it didn't really work out for lots of different reasons not always Danny's fault not always the team's fault it just didn't work out. So yeah, I think Red Bull will be wary of you know making that mistake again. It's, it's what at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's had one really really excellent result. But I think I just think it's a little bit premature to be saying put him straight in the Red Bull, especially with signs on the books. Um, 
we've been championing Carlos Sainz for how long on this show? You know, mm. we all we both think he's he's excellent. It would kind of seem silly to, you know, do this deal with Renault to keep Sainz under the Red Bull umbrella, but let him go out to Renault and get more more experience in a top car to then just catapult Gasly straight ahead of him. It just it doesn't strike me as the Red Bull way to do things. I think they'll they'll give Science the shot and then if it doesn't work out, then Gasly's next in line. But two seasons and then we'll then we'll know. Not not just yet for me. I guess uh, a good a good follow on from that is really what what do we expect from Daniel Ricardo with his with his contract. Well all, all the time we're hearing that apparently, you know, Lewis is holding Mercedes up for more money. Um everybody keeps on saying that anybody could win in that Mercedes car. Uh do Mercedes look and go, you know, is is it is it time? You know, do we do we pull the trigger on you know, Lewis. keeping Lewis and go, okay, that's fine. We we could have Daniel Ricardo, who, all right, he's you know, he's not the social media and you know celebrity that, that Lewis is, but he's certainly probably the most universally liked driver <laughs> on the grid. Everybody I have never heard anybody say that they don't like Daniel Ricardo, except possibly the Dutch at the moment. But um, it's true, it's very true. I I, I like him and I'm I'm quite an angry, bitter person. <laughs> well, you are Scottish, so it there's kind lots of... of people I don't like, <laughs> and I like Daniel Ricciardo. So. No, uh, yes, he's 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 a natural, he's a natural baby face, isn't he? He's just a lovely man. He's <laughs> he's cat. He's you know he's smiley. He's happy. He's always good with the press. He chats away. What's not to, and and you know and he does it on the track. You know, his attacking style is you know wins and fans no matter what car he's driving, even if you're a diehard, you know, allegiance to Lewis's Mercedes or Ferrari and Vettel or McLaren or whoever, you know, you you, you still like Daniel Ricciardo, you know, you can't help it because he, mm-hmm. he'll stick one up the inside and you'd smile and go, oh, what a man Daniel Ricciardo is. So where does he go is, is the question I believe you're asking. The answer, I don't know. I, mean, I, I really don't know. I'm t- we Kimmy's can't probably see Ferrari, out. can we? That's, I that's not... I, I don't know. I think maybe I can. Um, you, you think you think Seb is? I know, I've been thinking Kimmy's going for the last thousand seasons, and he's still there. So the year will be twenty twenty five, and Kimmy Räikkönen's <laughs> just finished fourth in the Ferrari. So um, I've always I've always know. pictured it in my mind that probably what they would do is if Kimmy went and Leclerc wasn't ready, Grosjean would get a drive in a yeah, sort of Fisichella yeah. style for a year, just to say, all right, that's fine. We know you can drive the car. You know. You're, you showed in the Lotus that you can drive a fast car and do well in it. You know, pick up got, points and help Seb, sort of thing. You know, you've got this time to drive a Ferrari and do what you can with it. We absolutely promise you nothing after that year. Take it or leave it. And I'm sure Roman at that point it. would say, "Yeah, I'll I'll take having a year in a Ferrari unless you know unless the previous year the Haas was in front of it." Um, but <laughs> that's very unlikely to happen when the the underneath of the Haas is a Ferrari. Um, I'm, I'm sure he'd take that and go, okay, well, that's fine. Then I'll, I'll work out what the hell I'm going to do after that. Yeah. Um, especially if there's a nice big paycheck, you know, if you can take, of course, you know, take, take 5 million and put it in the bank for a year's worth of work of being, you know, 
not challenging Seb with whatever he's doing, I'm sure he'd probably go, that's fine. You know, I can be, I can be Rubens. It's not a problem. <laughs> you take the chance because who knows what's going to happen. Seb goes into the wall in the first race, breaks his leg, suddenly Grosjean's the number one driver for the year. He might be world champion, you know? Yeah. Doesn't 1% chance of happening out of 100, but you just well, never know. It's Eddie, Eddie Irvine, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. You know I mean? That's exactly, you know, the comparison I was, I was making. So, Grosjean there goes, if that situation came about, he 100% says, yeah, I'll take the year in. Who knows? I might fluke a couple of wins here and there and suddenly I'm challenging and, you know, who knows? You know, you got you, any driver would, would take that opportunity, you know, 100% without a shadow of a doubt. And your point is interesting and, and probably genuinely have a fair chance of happening. If Kimi does go, they want Leclerc. Yeah, if, it would be. I could absolutely see Ferrari doing that. So you're right. The Seb's the big player here. Is he going to want someone like Danny Rick challenging him? Probably not. Eh? He fought so hard, fought so hard to keep Kimi in the side and the team. Really, I mean, that was essentially from what I gather. Says a lot, doesn't it? I think you know. It's essentially. I'm Seb's sure he called. likes him, but it's like I suspect a lot of it is down to the fact that. Either he thinks he's definitely got Kimmy in his pocket or he fancies that the relationship is is such that it's non-combative. It's not um, Alonso Hamilton or Hamilton Rosberg or mm-hmm. Vettel Ricardo kind of was. It wasn't acrimonious, but, you know, the football champion was not happy being shown up, you know, even if most of the half of it was the, the poor Renault engine in that car, but still. You know Danny Rick turns up in a Ferrari and he's not backing down for anybody. He's di- no. he's diving up the inside of everybody that get, he gets an opportunity to do so. That would <laughs> Honey Badger, Seb- don't give a, as we all know. <laughs> that would uh, rub Seb up the wrong way, for sure. So if he's got as much stroke in the team as we sort of think he does, then, yeah, it's hard to see Danny going in there. It kind of feels like, I don't know, does, does Dan... What is what's in Daniel Ricardo's head right now? What does he what does he want? You think? Choice, does, he, but does he think he's getting a chance? At, does he think? So I've seen figures of like sixty million a season being banded around, and like that's a lot of money on top of you know probably two hundred million plus to d- to develop the car because they've got to be chucking in more than your average team is chucking into a thing, mm-hmm. um, and and all the other stuff surrounding it. And at the end of the day, it's a marketing exercise for Mercedes. They're, they're, they're not a, an ancient and honoured F1 team. They've, they've come back to take advantage of, of, you know, engine rule changes and all the other bits and pieces. Uh, can't ignore the fact that the, the guy makes headlines uh, and, you know, is appearing in places that other F1 drivers won't. Um, it's how much it's how important that is to Mercedes, I think, and how much they're willing to um, bet that paying him sixty million guarantees them the championship. On the first two races of this season, it doesn't seem like it does. In the last few seasons, it it, it kind of has because the only the the only um, challenge he's really had was his teammate, and you know, obviously Ferrari fluffed it fluffed it last season. Um, if if it comes down to it. Is is the headlines that he brings in more important than um, the money that they have to pay him to to get those headlines? Or if you have somebody like Daniel Ricciardo, who is 
you know, universally fan friendly, although slightly less high profile, does that actually make you motorsport wise better off? I, th- I think it's something you have to think about. I mean, Lewis Hamilton fans will probably disagree and say that Lewis is better in all of those bits and pieces. But I think if you, if you, if you look at the potential for um, having Danny Rick in a team and the positivity that he just breeds in and around his, you know, with his personality, could be good for Mercedes who are, you know, maybe what about slightly. This, what about? What about Hamilton stays mm-hmm. and Bottas goes and Ricardo comes in there? I think that's more possible than the Ferrari one because I have a feeling that Hamilton will back himself against whoever. Yeah, um, he would. And, you know, if he could, he had his battles with Nico, he's not going to shy away from having a scrap with a teammate. You know, I don't think Lewis worries about that as much as Seb does. No, and. I think he's probably more established in the team now, so he'd probably assume that he had, you know, priority for the team anyway. But um, if he doesn't, you know, it it, it, it could be. I, I I don't know. It's it's so difficult to say. You're you're talking in in such theoretical stuff. But um, I, I fancy that I'd see Daniel Ricciardo in a Mercedes before I'd see him in a Ferrari. And realistically, though, that's that's his options. So or stay. Or, or or stay, uh, which doesn't seem to be doing anybody any favours at the moment. I think, gun to my head, I would probably back stay at Red Bull if I was having a bet at this time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that's that's the most likely thing, isn't yeah. it? But I'm, I'm kind of like, if there but wasn't, yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. If they go, actually, Dan, if you're you know you're going to mess us about, so we'll, we'll get Carlos in the car and and Max can be our our, uh, our lead driver. Um, you know, we're no happy. Yeah, no problems. Yeah. Um, Certainly, uh, and it'll be an interesting one just around around the August September time to see how it all all unfolds. Um, I think, like I say, ultimately, I think probably stays at Red Bull. If he does, that leaves a bit of a logjam going it's further science, back, the isn't way. it? Stuck yeah. it on loan at Renault. <laughs> I guess they would probably drop Hartley and bring Science back, wouldn't they? At that point, or you could just keep Science at Renault another season. Be, uh, well, I guess only if Renault, if Renault are happy with that, I guess. I don't um, see why they wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's who who would either. they then who would then they sign to you know um, replace him if they didn't have signs? Could you get know, Perez, Hulkenberg, and Perez from Force India if Force India are going backwards. If Sainz, if sorry, if, if Ricardo stays at Red Bull, I think Sainz would stay for another year, and I think Hulkenberg would stay for another year. I think I mean, Hulkenberg's staying, isn't he? I think yeah. that's the yeah. that's the so long term thing. It's what Sainz does. I think if Danny doesn't move, then the Renault stays the same next season. Would be my guess, um, and they would probably continue to progress. I would imagine, and that might not be a bad bet for Carlos to stay there for another year if the Renault keeps him, keeps improving. Could be end up being quite a good uh, good fit for him. But yeah, if, if Danny stays at, it's, it's, we've been talking about this for for a couple years now, but. Danny stays at Red Bull, and, and sort of a bit more specifically, if Kimi stays at Ferrari, then it just log jams everything backwards for the young guys trying to come through, like your, your, your Carlos Sainz, your Leclerc, these, your Grosjeans, all these guys. Any you know, any one of Hulkenberg, Grosjean, Perez, Sainz could have had a chance taken on them in a top team by now, and you know, it's just not enough seats to go around, uh, unfortunately, and, and some of them end up out the sport, some of them end up stuck, like Perez. In this sort of midfield, 
for for all of time. It feels like Force India, and it feels like Perez will be driving that Force India forever. But yeah, it's, 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 I always like discussing driver lineups. I find it interesting. Uh, just you know, relation who's going where, that kind of thing. It's good. It makes good news. It makes good conversation. Um, and I'm sure we'll cover it again come silly season around uh, around August, probably. The, yeah, the, isn't it mid, the gap. mid-season and then the big, people the start gap. announcing. But there's so many good... It, it, it's a positive subject to discuss because there's so many talented guys. I'm looking at the list here, you know, current drivers, and there's seven, eight, maybe that you could say, stick him in a Ferrari, stick him in a Mercedes, and they'll probably win some good... In golfing. a way, that the... The push now to have young junior drivers in teams sooner rather than later it's good for the sport because I think there's a lot there are a lot less pay drivers or you know average drivers sitting around in st- seats that you know teams were worried to give to rookies, but now they're like you know if we've got somebody who's young and coming on we we you know we get them into the the car at nineteen twenty now instead of waiting until they're you know 25 26 to say all oh, right now you've got you know now we can trust you that we've seen you sitting around the team for however long um yeah you look at the current list and really outside of the williams team there's not a lot of it's all pretty you know guys that deserve to be there not to say that Sirot and stroll don't necessarily deserve to be there but you no know, those that's the team that you go okay so he's bringing money isn't he you know and obviously Ericsson at Sauber. <laughs> <laughs> who ironically scored points this weekend and made it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, who are we to judge? But yeah, outside of maybe one or two there, you know, Toro Rosso, I don't know a lot about Hartley's background, but, you know. I mean, he's not a pay driver, is he? Oh. He's been on the junior program for a long yeah. time, went out, did, you know, closed wheel WEC and all these bits and pieces yeah. and did very well. And so it's. Guys. Sorry, Kyle. No, I was just going to say, so it's, he's not paying for that seat, is he? Yeah, he's just part of the program that allows you access to that seat. Yeah, and then you but got it's Van... funny actually. I was looking around. Sorry, mate, I don't mean to cut you off, but um, I was looking at the Red Bull Junior program, and actually, at the moment, they probably have the biggest dearth in people ready to pop up into <laughs> um, a seat that they've had for a while. Um, like the 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 top guy, I think, at the moment is in GP3, and most of the others are in other smaller formula around there. Um, it's an interesting mix of. Um, nationalities in in there as well there's um an american uh i think a dane a couple of brits um they've brought that many through over the last five years you know they can't continue to to bring so many through (laughs) at such a massive rate of knots you know think of the names they've brought through in the last 10 years there's so many good good drivers that they've brought and then (laughs) dumped so yep it's understandable that they might have a wee dry spell, but they've got that many there now currently to choose from. They've got guys that aren't even at the team, like Carlos Sainz. So yes. there's that many different, like, you know, I don't think we won't be sending out the... A couple of seasons without yeah. getting anybody might yeah. be quite good for the but, roster, I guess, abso- yeah. Oh, absolutely. These things, you know, that's how these things go. We bring so many through at once and there's going to be a little bit of a lull. But in general, I think it's in a good shape, especially what you said about the junior program is so true because if you just look at the list of names now, Van Dorn, Leclerc, um, Gasly, all these guys clearly got talent, clearly getting an opportunity. So, Magnussen essentially as well. He was McLaren, McLaren Jr., yeah. yeah, and obviously now driving a Ferrari, basically, <laughs> ironically. But, but yes, um, 
yeah, so reasons to be positive actually on that front, uh, which is always good for us to have something nice to talk about. Go back to the very, very original question, Gasly to Red Bull. Not just yet. One more season. So we've been relentlessly positive. So why don't we just slag a load of people off? Because that's good fun. <laughs> uh, if you've been following Twitter uh, across the race weekend, uh, you might have seen around the time of uh, FP3, um, <laughs> a mini rant <laughs> uh, about something in F1 that's been bugging me for the last two or three seasons, maybe. Probably the last two, really. Uh, and that is the quality of some of the people bringing us Formula One on a regular basis. Uh, mostly Sky, because that's where I watch the coverage. Um, I had a chance this weekend to watch qualifying on Channel 4 because lots of people said that their coverage was very good. Um, so I thought, well, let's let's take a look at quality because it's not as long as a race and I can do it. And I like, I prefer to listen to Brundle during a race. It's just, I'm hardwired to that now. I think, you know, Martin Brundle is my f1 comms guy um, i'm the same i'm exactly the same i find it out if i ever don't have the opportunity to catch a sky coverage which is which is pretty rare i find it so surreal not having brundle in the car it's like I've, I've been following f1 since 1999 so pretty much every race unless he's been ill martin brundle's commented on that i've ever watched <laughs> i've ever watched live so yeah where he goes i go and when sky took over the rights um originally originally was how many years ago now five six seven years ago something like that um i said at the time i was like if brundle goes to sky i'll watch on sky if brundle stays at the beeb i'll watch on the beeb and brundle went to sky so i'm watching on sky that's (laughs) that's that's the way it goes but i think i know where you're going with this so i'll just let you finish up what you were saying about the people who (laughs) don't particularly like yes so in 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 fp3 uh, i flicked over don't always watch watch all the free practices but um with it being in the middle of the day i just thought oh, i'll flick it on and see what's going on and um sky had david croft and paul de doing the commentary for free practice three do you think it's always good because it's nice to hear other voices than martin brundle for the uh, non-quality and non-race sessions i'm quite happy with that it's quite nice to, to you know to have um other people on um i've i've quite enjoyed that uh, but they got into a discussion regarding refueling. Um, and although we've both stated on this program how much we think refueling should come back to the sport, this isn't because of one person's opinion on refueling. But David Croft took it upon himself to school Paul DeResta uh, about exactly what uh, refueling would entail, how much it would cost, uh, and spectacularly told him that it would require an extra two people uh, for each rig to. Um, to bring refueling back and Paul DeResta said, well, no, it's not because there's always people in the garage who aren't doing something all of the time. Um, And Crofty actually argued the point back. And this to me is exactly what is wrong with a lot of the non X formula one people in and around the sky coverage um, who all to me seem to be becoming a little bit too full of their own opinions um david croft is definitely the worst um he gets slapped down so often by formula one people you'd think he'd learn his lesson (laughs) but no week after week he comes back and tries to correct people he tries to correct martin brundle and you think you've sat next to him you know for 
however many seasons now, surely some of some of his knowledge is is sort of rubbing off on you and stuff. But no, it doesn't doesn't seem that way. Um, oh, that was the other brilliant thing is he, uh, is that he said he didn't think that uh, refueling would you know necessarily make the cars faster, despite the fact that you know every single week Martin Brundle almost will always say to him, um, "Well, the cars are going faster because the fuel's burning off." Which he, you know, he takes verbatim. But that's not even Formula One. That's just science. Like that's just <laughs> car is like... lighter. Car goes faster. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, this basically all starts with uh, I'd like to get rid of David Croft from the comms box. I don't know who I would necessarily replace him with. Um, I listened to the guy from Channel Four, and I do apologise. I can't remember his name. It's completely escaped me. Um, he was okay. I don't think he was great, but I thought he was he, he what he did was not do Crofty's stupid, over the top, uh, scripted screaming when something happens. You know, uh, which I can't stand um, because it feels so false. You know, F one sells itself. You don't need to go. Oh my god. So much- Every time something vaguely happens on on screen, you know, oh my god, Roman Grosjean has blown his nose. Oh, what 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 <laughs> can we say about this? Don't care. Shut up. Um, and then I thought, who are who else would I like to replace? Uh, I'd like to get rid of Johnny Herbert, who I think serves no useful purpose whatsoever, other than to be uh, an. an irritating short ass um i like damon hill i'd keep damon hill i i feel that damon generally says sensible things isn't over the top um and doesn't fall into the sort of partisan rhetoric that herbert seems only too happy to to follow along uh i'd probably get rid of ted Sadly, I, that's a bold I, call. I loved the notebook. It used to be my favorite thing around a race weekend, other than the race, because it seemed that all that Ted wanted to do was tell us interesting things that happened uh, that we didn't see and we didn't capture. Loved it. I loved that. That's exactly the kind of inner looking, behind the scenes sort of stuff that I think most fans really like. Sadly, the notebook these days seems to have turned into uh, Ted either speaking his own opinion or Sky's opinion on whatever they want to, whatever narrative they want to create about Formula One at the moment. It's become an opinion piece and it never used to be that. Uh, and more of his stuff seems to be that about, you know, when he's doing the, the pit lane stuff back to the comms box, it's less about reporting something going on and more about trying to make a story out of it. And I hate that. It doesn't need it. The sport doesn't need that. Um, if he could go back to being how he was in the first three years of Sky's coverage, Stay, please stay. But the person I'd replace him with, uh, and ultimately for anything in the pit lane, is is Lee McKenzie, who I think is fabulous, and regardless of gender, I think is one of the best reporters that we we've got hanging around Formula One. Um, got a tweet from her because I <laughs> I suggested that she didn't want to work for Sky, and uh, she corrected me there to say it's less that she doesn't want to work for Sky, uh, and that it's more about the fact that she does a lot of other different sports, which she really loves doing, and she'd have to give all of those up to do uh, F1 coverage solely for one channel, 
uh, in the way that Sky would have her. So that's a shame, but that's definitely what I'd like to see. Or I'd certainly replace a lot of the the other people in the pit lane uh, with um, with her. I'd like to poach Mark Webber from Channel Four in replace of Johnny Herbert. I think that's is that a no brainer? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is a no brainer. I feel <laughs> like, like I, I feel like ultimately we're going to more or less agree on most things here because I would also get rid of Johnny. I would also keep Damon, and I'd have sacked David Croft in about 2014. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think more or less we're on the same page. And great Colin Weber, uh, who when he was in the car, I don't know I wasn't a huge fan of Mark Weber as a driver. Um, don't know why. I just never really took to him. But every time I see him uh, now, now that he's out the car doing uh, punditry or up on the podium, uh, just generally chatting away, yeah, really, really quite like him actually. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Happy with that and your um, your fantasy <laughs> what, team team of F one. Yeah, fantasy F1 presenters, reporters. I guess, or something like that. Yeah. Um, here's one. I don't know if you'll agree with this one. I'd like to not necessarily replace, but I'd like to alternate more or have uh, certainly have on the team uh Karen Chandok um with Paul Deresta or instead of Paul Deresta I want more Paul Deresta I See like I Paul like Deresta. Paul Deresta but I can't take a lot of him in one go I don't know uh, yeah he's, I I can I like him I, I was, I've I've I have always liked him and I certainly prefer him to Anthony Davidson um but I love I just Karen Chandler seems to bring something, probably because Paul is so so dry. Um, <laughs> that that's that's what I find when I when he's on for for long periods of time, I, I kind of get less interested in it. Whereas Karen brings a, a more of an enthusiasm to to to. Is he on Channel Four? Karen, he then. is on Channel Four. Um, I, I, I probably could count on one hand how many times I've seen him say anything. <laughs> so can't really offer a massive opinion on on how good he or may not be, but. I've got Paul DeResta's back. I like Paul DeResta. Okay, okay. And I like—I I don't mind Anthony Davidson either, actually. For that matter, I never. Oh, I just again, probably dislike is is too strong a word, but I just I never watched what he said. I'd always fast forward through, whereas I'd listen to what Paul DeResta said, and I'd absolutely watch um, what Karen Chandok said. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And here's the last one. I guess the last piece of the puzzle, uh, and it's one I don't have a strong opinion on particularly, although some other people do. Um, Steve Jones or Simon Lazenby? I don't have an opinion, really. I have never seen Steve Jones do do anything, and Lazenby is just he's just there for me. I don't have a strong opinion either way. I don't find him offensive, but I don't. Yeah, that's. I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> die on a cross for him either. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of my opinion as well. Really, it's like Simon Lazenby. I think does a good job. I just don't think he does it necessarily spectacularly. I certainly don't dislike him and I don't, you know, I wouldn't turn off the TV just because he happened to be on it. Um, but I think he's very professional. He's super, super professional, which, um, you know, isn't a bad thing. It doesn't mean, he, you know, it certainly means he just doesn't do a bad job. But I kind of, I haven't connected with him on, on, on anything. I don't really know, feel like I know him as an F1 yeah, presenter. No, I, I get what you're saying there. I do get what you're saying. Steve Jones, however tries too damn hard um he's too chummy and lax and um 
you know, hey, aren't we all just mates just having a laugh about Formula One? Hee hee, cheeky chappy. But I quite like that he is at least personable with it. Like I, you get more of a sense of him in his, you know, in his, in his present presentation style. And uh, you, well, I wonder if that's better overall than just re- sort of repeating the lines that you know you've got to repeat to to move interviews on and and do bits and pieces. I don't, I don't know. Like I say, I'm I'm torn. If, if Sky stuck with Simon Lazerby, I'd be absolutely fine with that decision. You know, I, I think he is good at his job. Um, is there anybody outside of those two that jumps to your brain for the anchor role? Um, trying to think now, really. Um, or even, or you know, compare it to the last 10, 15 years, like Jake Humphrey. Where would you put him? See, in Jake that? Humphrey was good. Jake Humphrey was the best. Was the better mix of those two because he could have some personality, but he knew when to be professional and take it through. He was actually, yes, Jake Humphrey has been the best sort of Formula One anchor man that we've had for a very long time, I think. See, I liked Jake Humphrey doing the F1 and I liked him before he did the F1, but I've kind of gone cold on him a little bit in the last couple of on his, he does football obviously now and I don't know, he's he kind of a little bit gone off him. Maybe, maybe, maybe if he came back to F1, it would be different. Um, but, Five years ago, I'd have absolutely said Jake Humphrey would be my first choice. You know, like, that's the guy mm. I want. Now I'm not sure, just because I can't explain it exactly. I've just gone off him a little bit. Um, but ultimately, I'm not that fussy for that particular position because I guess it's the nature of the role. They're just there to, you know, yeah, keep move all, things along and keep make all sure together that... and keep the glue and stuff. But when you're actually looking for analysis or opinions, that's a little bit more important than just yeah. In the anchor, as silly as it is, you know, it's not, it sounds because they're the main guy, aren't they? But yeah, yeah really, it's the, it's the opinions and the analysis that you want, you know, that's the meat on the bone. Um, so I'm a little bit like you, um, Lazenby's fine, don't know anything about Steve Jones, Humphrey would be fine too. Um, the worst I've ever seen in my time watching Formula One live is uh, I did not like Steve Ryder one little bit, no, but, um, other than that, <laughs> I'm not that I don't have that strong an opinion, <laughs> no. Uh, and definitely joining David Cross on the unemployment line is Natalie Pinkham, who I I have no understanding how somebody who apparently has you know good personal relationships with Formula One drivers. Do you know what I mean? Thinking about all the stuff she's done with Daniel Ricciardo and bits and pieces, has been doing stuff in and around F1 for practically the whole time it's been on air. How does she still not know anything about Formula One? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand. Every time she seems to be talking to somebody, she comes out with something utterly ridiculous, and I just go, "What? How? How did you think that? Why did you think that? Why? Why did you voice that opinion to Formula One journalists? <laughs> Do you not feel stupid now?" <laughs> and she might be a lovely woman, and none of these things are to say that these people are horrible people. Who, you know, even you know, I I hope end up on the. Uh, unemployment line and it's all bad news for them do you know what i mean david croft is probably a lovely person a lovely lovely father and all those bits and pieces and i wish him no ill will i just don't want to hear him on my television and the same with natalie pinkham i think the f1 show or the f1 report or whatever they're calling it now could be so much more and isn't because it gets no production in it and it's led by somebody who's really seems to be really terrible about what they're expected to do Again, if there if there's a thing to have Lee McKenzie front, 
was something that she wouldn't have to go all over the world to do. The F1 report could be could be a good good way of getting her in. I'd love to see her fronting that, giving intelligent, insightful, you know, opinions as well as asking the questions of people. Um, I can't like... really. Sorry, carry on. No, no, go for it, mate. Just because I can't really think of something just off the top of my head that that Natalie Pinkham. You know, I think I must just kind of zone out when she's on. That. <laughs> sure. Because you've you've met you're saying oh she makes these mistakes and stuff and I'm just like trying to sort of think in my head last time I could even sort of pinpoint something and I'm kind of drawing a blank so now I'm going to go out my way to keep an eye on what she says and see if see if it's as bad as you're making out because I'm just my memory is just like oh I can't really remember anything obvious that she said so I'm going to keep an eye out for it for sure because <laughs> you seem to be yeah the, your, your your tone there suggested that it happens with some frequency. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Mack, one of our, uh, our 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 friends on Twitter, is <laughs> and I had a good a good discussion about exactly what we uh, what we feel Natalie Pinkham brings to the to the table, which was literally nothing. So uh, <laughs> at least I, at least it. I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, now she seems to be relegated to the FM report. She used to do the pit lane stuff and was absolutely dreadful. So uh, it seems to be uh, oh, it's the blonde lady's name. Is it Sarah something? Um. Sarah Cook? No, I'm not I can't sure. remember. But her, her, the the she does a lot of the the, the pit lane stuff now, and, and she's okay. You know, nothing spectacular. She's absolutely fine. You know, I, I can't complain about her particularly. And she does that job absolutely fine. And I'm glad it's not Natalie Pinkham. <laughs> it's basically what it comes down to. I when mean, I I, that, sorry, mate. I was going to say just to finish up. Yeah, I would be if I could do a deal with the devil here. I would keep everybody that you dislike to get rid of David Croft. I would keep Herbert, yes. I would keep Pinkham, I would do whatever they said, give me whoever you want, if you take Crofty away from me. And I would, <laughs> do, I would do the deal with the devil, because he's yeah. borderline unlistenable at the Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. And has Absolutely. been for a while. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, I like that. I like it when we can, I like it when we set the world to rights on the podcast. <laughs> I said they're always good. The yeah, they're always <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that takes us nicely to the end of this second episode of F1 Banter. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. We really appreciate all of your support. Um, if you're following us on Twitter and you see the episodes pop up, we'd love it if you could just retweet the episodes just to all your followers because, hey, it helps other people find the show, uh, tune in, and then actually maybe you can all start talking about what we're talking about instead of talking about how bad David Croft is. That'd be good, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, so again, yeah, thanks very much for listening. We will be back after China. Um, obviously, it's back-to-back, so there's going to be a lot of episodes all in a row. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying this nice short format so you can take it with you and listen to it on the go. Uh, and we will see you in about a week or so. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.